Uh, Open your Bibles with me. Uh, James chapter 4. We're looking at verses 10, 11, and 12 today. So James chapter 4, 10, 11, and 12. And we're in this series in the book of James that we're calling The Awakening. And what we've been seeing is James is calling each and every single one of you and me for us to open up our eyes and become who we're made to become. But not only you and not only me, but all of us together collectively as a church, as a community of people, for all of us to open up our eyes and together with this shared faith become who and what we are made to become. A community called the church. And a community of friends. Everyone seems to love the idea of having great friends. A community of people who've got each other's backs. They're there for each other. No matter what they're going through, they are there ready to walk through pain, suffering, trials, difficulties, standing there beside each other, ready to go. The problem is that many people don't like what is required to produce that kind of community and those kind of friends. Now, there was a time in church history when people weren't attracted to the church because of these beautiful buildings, not because of some grand performance that happens on a Sunday morning, and not because of a big personality, but because of love that is found in the Christian community people that made up the church. There is a word called apologetic, which doesn't mean to make an apology about something, but when you think of the word apologetics, it means to give a defense, a defense of the faith, proof that Christianity is true. And there is a guy named Francis Schaeffer who was an apologist. He was a defender of the faith, and he said that the greatest proof, the greatest proof, that Christianity is true is love that is found within the Christian community. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that the quality that we find in the church today, the the quality of community that we find in the church today pales in comparison to what it's meant to be. And so because of that, we're not experiencing community like we're meant to. And so people are no longer attracted to the church as a community of people. And so what the church has done is say, well, we've got to figure this out. So instead of saying, let's figure out what's going on with us as a church community, what the church, the, the, the people, the church today in America is saying is, let's put on a show. Let's make Sunday morning amazing for one hour and let's give it all that we've got. And that will be the way that we attract people to the church. And the challenge that I want to lay before us today is that no matter what happens with the Grove, no matter what kind of growth we experience over the next 15 years, that it wouldn't be because we have great singers. It wouldn't be because we have this grand location at some point. It wouldn't be because of some great building. But it would be because of love that is found within the Christian community. And today, James tells us one of the greatest reasons that this kind of community is killed within the church. He tells us what we're going to call today as the knife of slander. So James 4, 10 through 12. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 
Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? All right, first point. What is the knife of slander? James says, don't speak evil against one another. And what he's getting at is to speak evil at someone is to slander them, it's to defame them, and it's to deface them. And it's to say something about them that could be true or might not be true. But what you're doing is you're saying something to someone else about them, not from a place of love for that person, not from a place where you want their best interest in mind, but from this place inside of you that for whatever reason gets a little bit of a rush when you say something about somebody else. And then James says, speaks about not judging one another. And so here's what he's not doing. He's not saying, don't make discernments about others. Don't think wisely about others. And if you have a friend and they're, th- they're just ruining their life, and you don't know what to do about it, it's okay for you to go and talk to another friend and say, hey, what are we going to do about our buddy here? But that's not what James is talking about. He's talking about living in such a way that you look around the people in this room and in your life and you so badly want them to succeed. You want their best in mind constantly and you are relentlessly loving them. So, the, so gossip... Gossip is confessing someone else's sin. Gossip is confessing someone else's sin to someone who can't do anything about it and can't help that person at all. It could be true, it could not be true. It doesn't matter. It's confessing somebody else, something about somebody else. And what you're doing when you do this is you are robbing someone of something incredibly important for them to be able to do. So you think about someone who's done something wrong to someone else. And you think about someone telling that person that, hey, so-and-so has done something wrong to you. Now, I want you to know what's just happened at that moment. The person who's done wrong to someone, they've done something wrong. They shouldn't have done it. But because somebody else is telling, going around them and telling somebody else, they're robbing the person who's done wrong of reconciliation. They're robbing them of reconciling with God and saying, hey God, I've done something wrong, but, but even more so, they're robbing reconciliation to, from the person that they did something wrong to. So let's say somebody does something wrong. Okay? They do something wrong. It was, they shouldn't have done it. And then somebody finds out about it. Somebody said something about someone behind their back, and somebody else finds out about it and goes tells the person that was, something was said bad about them to the person who had something bad said about them. And I want you to see the chain reaction that goes off. So, first person did something wrong by by saying something bad about someone, threw a knife in their back. And then the person hears about it from another person. Then they start boiling up and they start steaming and they start then throwing knives in the back of the person who'd said something about them. All the while you've got this person on the side like kind of loving it. They're ruining a friendship. And then, finally, the person who did something wrong in the beginning says, you know what, I've done wrong. So they go to the person, not knowing that the person knows about it, and says, I'm really sorry, I messed up. 
I said something about you and I shouldn't have said it. And then this person finds out they already knew about it. And the person who was sinned against already had a plan of what they were going to do. They've been boiling up inside for what they've heard. And the person then finds out that did wrong and the first first person that did the wrong thing has a bunch of knives in their back because the person that they sinned against has been throwing knives in their back over and over and over again. And finally, maybe they get a little bit of glimmer of reconciliation and then they realize that this person over here on the side is the one who, who said it all, who started the rumors and the gossiping. And then they start throwing knives in that person's back. And then the next thing you know, there is a chain reaction of everybody throwing knives in everybody else's back, and these three people who used to be friends now hate each other. All because one little piece of slander that happened. Now, people are going to hurt you. And they're going to say things that frustrate you. They're going to say things that make you angry. And they're going to do things that get you mad and you're going to hear about it. And you're going to want to say something back. And you're going to want to slander them back. And you know what you can do? You can easily make yourself to be the victim here. And tell yourself that they have done something wrong to you. And continue to talk about it in your mind and in your heart. And then you're going to start slandering them. And this spiral of slander will continue to go until you're losing all of your friends all of the time. In order for Christian community to thrive, we have to not only stop throwing knives in the back of people in our life, but we have to be willing to forgive others when they throw a knife in our back because it's going to happen. There's something about being human that makes us love talking poorly about other people. We get a little bit of a rush about it. And you know what I'm talking about. And sometimes you say, i got to stop doing this. And you're talking to someone. And then there's a lull in the conversation, and you don't know what to talk about. Well, what am I going to talk about? Well, I know a thing that always gets people excited. Let's talk about somebody. And so you do. And then the conversation sparks up, and it's a great conversation. I mean, you guys aren't stopping talking now. And you know this happens. It happens over and over and over again. I don't know what it is about us, but we have this default mode where we get excited about this kind of thing. And the reason is because there's a combination where we have both an insecurity and a pride about us. And that insecurity and pride at its core is sparked by something. And that something is you, me, We want to build our own kingdom and not God's kingdom. This is our second point. Why do you slander? Verse 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord. Now, verses earlier, James talked about a combination of wisdom, humility, and meekness. And what we saw is that the humble person does not want to seek their own kingdom because they realize God's kingdom is far greater and he is a far greater king than we could be. And so they humble themselves and don't seek their kingdom. And if they are meek, a meek person means that they are seeking to build God's kingdom. So the wisest thing that you can ever do in your life is to seek to build God's kingdom. And if you're at a place where you need to make a big decision, the wisest question that you can ask yourself is, what will bring God's kingdom the most? See, our tendency is we have a big decision to make, and we're consumed with our own kingdom. 
So we think, well, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And all you've got to do is stop and ask one question. What would bring God's kingdom the most? And that's your answer of what you should do. Now, you might say, well, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. Yeah, maybe so. But you have your answer. What will bring God's kingdom the most? Then you go and do that thing. But when you seek to build your own kingdom, it brings about pride and insecurity. Why does it do both of those things at the same time? Well, because when you're building your own kingdom, what are you thinking about? You. You're thinking about your kingdom. Me. What should I do? What's best for me? I'm building this empire. What will work best? And it's vital that you understand that the reason that you slander people is because you are seeking to build your own kingdom and things aren't going very well. And somebody else comes along and their kingdom that they're building is thriving. And you start getting jealous. You're feeling bad about yourself. And so what do you want to do? Well, you want to look for any type of little tiny sin in their life and you want to point it out because if you can bring their kingdom down, well, then at least yours isn't so bad compared to theirs. Or when you're seeking to build your own kingdom and things are going well, well, you become prideful. You feel like you've got something to brag about. And then all of a sudden you feel like you could look down at others and judge them and determine if they're living their life the way that they should. And so you slander them because of your pride. But if you are seeking to build God's kingdom, guess what happens? You don't think more of yourself. You don't think less of yourself. You just stop thinking of yourself. Because you found a king and a kingdom that is so much greater than you and the kingdom that you could build that your eyes become fixed on him and you're not thinking about yourself anymore. You're not consumed with yourself. You're not consumed with how great you are or how miserable you are or how lowly you are. You have found someone glorious enough to fix your attention on and then you seek to build his kingdom. And so then your pride and your insecurity is stripped away. And, and look at what else James says. He talks about slandering or speaking evil or judging the law, and here's what he's getting at. If you seek to build your own kingdom, it will have a direct impact on the way you read your Bible. So when you're seeking to build your own kingdom, you want what you want. You want something that's going to help you in your kingdom. And so you open up your Bible and you start reading it, and you look for things that will help you build your own kingdom. And when you find things that won't help you, you, you say, ah, that's not that good, that's not that important, that's not that relevant. And at some point you realize something. You're not really reading this that much anymore. Because this does not help you build your own kingdom. This seeks to get you to throw your crown down on the ground and then build God's kingdom. This will never be relevant to you if you are consumed with your own life and your own kingdom because it's not teaching you how to build a great kingdom for yourself. It's teaching you to throw your kingdom down and build God's. So then you speak evil against the law, as James says. And so if this isn't helping you, then, then what you begin to do is you start judging it versus letting it judge you. You sit over the top of it and determine if it's good or not versus letting it sit over the top of you and teach you and direct you and tell you how to live your life. And then what you have to see is if you are slandering others, 
that means you are likely slandering God and His Word. You're living in such a way that slanders His name. Because the Bible is telling you how to live a certain way. And it says don't slander. But then when you do slander, you're not only slandering others, you're not only throwing knives in the back of others, but you're throwing a knife in the back of God and His Word. Because it's telling you to not do the things that you're doing. And it's causing you to slander not only Him, but His church. And you're causing a breakdown in church community and then somebody walks in here on a Sunday morning and they see a bunch of knives in everybody's back that have been thrown there by other Christians and they say, ah, I don't want anything to do with this place. And there you have it. That is why church today consists of one hour on a Sunday morning. Because, well, look at what you're doing right now. You're not looking at each other, you're looking right at me. And if I can entertain you enough, And if we could sing good enough, well, we can entertain you for a whole hour. And you'll never have to talk to each other, never have to interact with each other. And guess what? Then there's no knives in your back. And so this is what our strategy in church has become. Only in the end, it looks nothing like what the church is meant to look like. It's like a week, an an hour-long conference once a week. And... Hey, that's easy. Because you know why that's easy? It's safe. We don't have to risk. We don't have to risk having a knife thrown in our heart right through our back. Only, it means that you never get to experience love. C.S. Lewis famously said that love is risky. And if you love, you might get hurt. But if you don't take the risk of love, then what you do is you take your heart and you put it in a coffin and it's sealed shut and your heart turns cold and dead because you did not take the risk to love. So, in summary, why are you slandering? Well, you're seeking to build your own kingdom and it's making you insecure because the things are not going well. And so you slander others. Or, you're seeking to build your own kingdom and things are going really well. So you feel like you have the privilege and the right to slander others. Well, because look how great you are. Look how successful you are. Or, you don't let this teach you how to live. And it's just don't slander. But you do it anyways because, well, this doesn't help you bring your kingdom. And so you close it. And you're done with it. And I want to tell you, if you can't stop slandering other people, it is going to mess up your life completely. This is our third point. How does slander affect you? Slander is a habit. Gossip is a habit. And every time you engage in it, it normalizes it for you. And your brain and your heart are rewired in such a way to think, this isn't such a big deal. And the longer you do it, the more you're ruining friendships in your life because you're throwing knives in the back of your friends and you don't think it's that bad. Only there's something else that you're telling yourself too. You can't trust anybody because if you're throwing knives in the back of others, then they must be doing it to you. And so the next thing you know is not only are you throwing knives in the back of your friends, but you don't trust anybody. And so, and so what's left in the end is you don't have any real friendships because they're too risky. You could get hurt too bad. 
and it messes with your relationship with God. Because, well, you're seeking your own kingdom. And you keep going to God and you keep asking him for the things that you want. And he's not giving it to you. He doesn't want to build your kingdom. He wants you to join him in building something far greater. But you won't do it. And so he keeps not giving you the things that you're asking for. And over time, you're beginning to resent God. And it's building and building and building until finally you've had enough. And you start shaking your fists at God and you curse him. Because he has not given you the kingdom that you've been seeking. So here's the question we got to ask is, what would happen if we stopped doing this, if we stopped slandering others? James says, be a doer of the law and not a judge of the law. So this is to mean that the Christian has a tendency to get together with other Christians for a Bible study, open up the Bible, and talk about all that it says in here. And we argue the theology behind it. And we discuss it over and over and over again. And if you're really cool, or if you're really dorky, you start talking about the original languages of Greek and Hebrew. You feel so great about yourself that you can do this. All the while, you're ignoring how to live the life it's telling you to live. And so you open up the Bible with your friends, and it says, hey, don't slander. You say, man, yeah, I've got to stop doing that. And then someone opens up about how, or you open up about how you've been hurt in the past by somebody saying something. You talk about all the wounds that it's caused you and how it's caused you to not really trust people. And then finally you get to work that day and you get there and then there's the place where you all gather together to get coffee or water or whatever it is. And you get there and somebody says something about someone else. And you go, oh, I got to hear this. And you can't help yourself. You just got to get over there and hear it. You can't, you can't walk away. Now, you just talked about how this is such a horrible thing and how people have broken your heart for it, but you can't stop yourself. Or you get in your Bible study and you talk about how selfish the world is. What's happening to our world? Our society is becoming so much more godless and this is such a tragic thing. And then you go about your day seeking your kingdom and not God's. Wondering why the society is becoming so godless. Meanwhile, we hear nothing about his kingdom coming. So, what if we stopped doing this and became a doer of the law? Well, people would come into church and they'd be drawn in by love. Not because E is such a great singer. Not because we're so cool in the way we dress or whatever it might be. Because we reach young families. Oh, cool, the church that reaches young families. Not because of any of that, but simply because we love people well. And we become a place of deep friendships where we have patience with each other. We be quick to forgive and slow to speak of other people's sins. And we be a place that lets people have some space because we're patient and love is patient. See, what we tend to do is we tend to, oh, somebody said this. Somebody's theology is like this. Somebody thinks this way, and we want to talk to all the world around the world around us about it. But if love is patient, then you know what that means? 
when someone says something about you behind your back, you can forgive them. Because you know that you have so easily done that to other people in the past. And we finally be a place that realizes we're all just trying to figure out how to follow Christ together. And we don't really know what we're doing. But at least together, we can figure it out a bit. And we begin to trust each other. Knowing that we've got each other's back. And we be a place that takes the risk of loving others more than protecting ourselves. And it, all, it just takes one brave person to start it. One brave person to be able to say, I could take a knife in the back because Christ took a knife in the back for me. And it was by me that he took that knife. Love is risky. But if you don't start doing it, you guys are all trying to shush your kids. It's not working. Just let them talk. They're slandering me back there. Love is risky, but you have to start by not, by hearing it. It's said about you. You have to forgive or else nothing is going to be built. And guess what? This is exactly what Jesus did. He is the only one who has the right to come and judge slanderers. And yet he doesn't come to judge us first. He comes to rescue us. And he comes to rescue us here from being a place that slanders each other to death by teaching us a new way to live. But he's also come to heal us from the knives that have been thrown in our back. He's the rescuer of slanders. This is our last point. Jesus came into the world pure, perfect, undefiled. And he came into a world that has been slandering his father. And yet he comes for us anyway. And then he comes on the scene and he announces that the kingdom of God is here, which should be the greatest news that we have ever heard. And then he says, repent and believe, which means to turn away from your kingdom and follow him into his kingdom. But we hear it as a threat. And so the world begins to slander him. But something else happens. In the Bible, we are told that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Meaning this, sin was thrown upon him. He became sin. And so we take all these knives of slander that we have been throwing around and then we see him up upon the cross. And what he has done there is he's taken the knives that are in our back that have wounded us and he's put them in his, in his own back so we could be healed. And he's taken the knives that we have thrown at others and he's taken them out of their backs and put him in his own. And he's there as the place where slanderers belong, but he goes there in our place. And he is painted with knives of slander on the cross Come on in, James. I know that's you. He's embarrassed now. He's excited for his little brother's baptism. Okay, come back to me now. He is painted with knives on the cross. Well, now you're coming in. I started back up again, James. Hey, buddy. 
All right, one more time. I'm going to try it. Focus on me. Focus on me. This is like the most important part. This is the quotable part. Jesus Christ is painted with knives on the cross so that the Christian community can be painted with love. That's why he went there. To rescue us from being slanderers, to rescue us from being slandered, but also to give us the strength to become the community that we are meant to become because guess who he is? He's the king and he has power and he has strength and when we go to him, he teaches us to live this way but he also gives us the power to do it. So we've got to run to him who changes our community into something that people long to be part of. And we don't do it so that people will come in to be part of it, but because we just do it because we are made to love. That's it. Because he loved us first. Let's pray. Father, in your grace and in your love, you have sent your son to come and rescue a bunch of people who have spoken evil about each other. And you've taken people who have every reason to hate each other and to be divided. And you have bound us together as one. As those who might love you and love each other with all of our hearts. And so God, we pray that you would knit us together as a community that loves well. And that love is the proof that this whole thing is real. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.